All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Patreon edition of the No Country Podcast. My name is J. David Osborne, and that is Chris Sacknessum. And this is Gus. Say hi, Gus. No? Now, you, now you're not wanting to talk? Anyhow, Gus is joining us for this episode because he doesn't want to go to sleep. He'll get on Mike in his own time. <laughs> <laughs> he's more of an improv guy. He likes to. He's the, he's the sniper. He's got the the commentary that he'll add in later. Um, welcome to the theory of ambush. We like that theory of ambush. Indeed, indeed. Welcome to the Patreon episode for everybody who is new. Thanks for joining us. We have a nice, healthy back catalog for you to go through. Lots of gems in there. Um, as you may or may not know, in every episode, uh, whether it was free or Patreon, Chris gives me five words for which I have to pick two and sneak those two words into the conversation. But here on the Patreon side of things, uh, Chris also gives me a parallel thinking mental challenge that I have to think about throughout the show. And so I'm interested to know, Chris, for this episode, what, what challenge do you have for me? Well, I think everyone will appreciate that riddles are a great unifying world concept. They're more universally human than even string games uh, and many other you know, facets of language. They work across language and concept. David, I'm going to give you, I'm going to read two very well-known riddles. I think you will be familiar with them, or at least one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they each have a different formula or hinge point to them. Mm-hmm. You are then free to choose which kind of riddle you want to approach, which of these two choices. Uh, they both work a little bit differently. But you will then be challenged to give a brief uh, crystallization gloss on, on the mechanisms that you see working mm-hmm. uh, in, in the one that you choose and to develop one in real time across this segment that works on the same formula of the one that you choose. Okay. 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 Here is riddle one. There was a plane crash, and every single person died who survived. Okay. Mm -hmm. Riddle two. A murderer is condemned to choosing one of three rooms as punishment. The first is full of raging fires. The second is full of assassins with loaded guns. The third is full of lions who haven't eaten in years. Which room is safest? So you may choose the formula approach of either of those two riddles to, in real time, try to uh, create a riddle of your own. It's a great training discipline for people uh, they're, they're often seen as kind of silly. They certainly are formulaic. That's the point. But when we begin to engage with that level of conceptual thinking, uh, we're able to improvise around that. You know, it's like playing around a melody, improvising around a melody. Yeah. So any questions? No, no, none at all. Uh, well, no, I take that back. Okay. I take that back. I don't need you to repeat the whole second riddle, but can you tell me the first part about it? It's a, it's a prisoner. The first riddle, I will repeat them. The first oh, no, riddle no, no, is, no, no, not, not, not a, the first, not the first riddle. The first part of the second riddle. Okay, a murderer is condemned to choosing okay. one of three rooms as punishment. Got it. Okay, yeah, okay? got it. 
All right, there we go. This is going to be exciting. David's doing a tremendous job. For people following this, it's uh, for me, it's a vindication of some of my teaching methods. I think it's a tremendous uh, engagement with someone willing to really participate. You know, you, you can't mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. get people to take the gloves off and engage with ideas. They have to want to do that. Right. But David's come up with some beautiful responses. And uh, I think we've got an exciting tradition building. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay, so following on from our last Patreon episode, we've been talking a lot about language, and our discussion of language began with paranoia. And we moved from language having its roots in paranoia to two categories that Chris uh, articulated uh, an oscillation between the two, which is terror and delight, which you would have heard in the last one as well. And then we moved on from that to a discussion about, about love. So we can go many different directions in this episode. We can continue on with spooky talk, which is you know one option, or we can continue to develop this particular line of thinking, which I'm also very interested in. So I will turn that over to you, Chris. And uh, where do you think we should go from here? Well, I think the link is that nothing is spookier than love. And I, I would like to actually start with a, a sort of personal uh, angle of saying that in the last episode, I, I did mention uh, the one of the big revelations that emerged in my life over the summer, which was kind of a confronting summer. Maybe other uh, people feel the same. Mm -hmm was I, I really came to terms with the fact that I, I'd been in love with a particular woman over the last five years. And I, I have been in various states of acceptance and denial about that. Mm -hmm. But when, mm -hmm. I, when I introduced that, I, I noticed that David was, was very accepting and, and resonated with that. And it made me think that many of my friends, particularly my male friends, have have really not connected with that theme and mm -hmm. i i remember that in a sense this has been a lifelong trend i think that men are, are very capable of talking about sex mm -hmm. uh in in various different ways from sort of a juvenile way to to you know a fairly adult way but i think when it comes to the male experience of love things get a little bit awkward and and a little bit wobbly mm -hmm. And that coincided with some rereading I'm doing of Joseph Campbell. And I'm specifically doing that because I think he has been overexposed. He is kind of caricatured in many people's mind, despite being a tremendous scholar and a door opener for, for many of us in terms of myth studies uh, and the, the intersection between religion, culture, language, and a global perspective. That's been his argument the whole time. He started off his career uh, researching and, and really engaged with the Grail legend and the whole European medieval uh, mythology systems uh, and worked out from there around the world. And one of the interesting things I, I came back to in his work on that was the whole notion of love within the great medieval romances and the fact that love is one of the, or was one of the five requirements and virtues of knighthood. And 
that made me think too that some of the world's great love poetry has been written by men and yet I, I was trying to think how many contemporary male writers do I know that have really engaged with that theme in a way that engages me and I, I really was struggling for a moment. I mean, there are some, I'm sure, and I could, you know, if I really racked my, my brains, uh, I could think of a few. But the first, you know, authors that come to mind uh, are gay. And I, I thought that was an interesting uh, perspective on, on malehood today and, and the subject of love. We are, are seeking in our society uh, more sensitive, caring men. And yet, I, I really, I think that's hard to find. And yet, I really appreciated when David did resonate with that in a very personal way and just didn't dismiss me out of hand. And he talks often, very movingly, I think, about love on, on, on many fronts. Love of his wife, love of his son who's in the background, um, and, and the male capacity for love as a strength. Absolutely. So I thought that might be an interesting ball to throw back at you because I really appreciated how you did engage with uh, what to me is, was a very personal and vulnerable, uh, humbling uh, and yet refreshing uh, realization to come out of a difficult summer. Yeah. Well, first of all, being vulnerable and admitting that you're in love with somebody is for some people at least the most difficult thing that they can do so it takes a lot of effort i don't care who you are to come to terms with that because something i remember you saying is that you were a bit on the fence you know you didn't know if it was a if it was a good thing or not right because there's a potential that it can end poorly right that it's not going to turn out right but you put yourself mm -hmm. out there anyway and I think that as a friend of a person, you know, who else is going to take us seriously if our friends don't, you know, <laughs> the, the guy who, you know, <laughs> who you buy your groceries from doesn't care that you're in love, right? Uh, that's supposed to be the job of, of your friends. So that's the first thing. I think that we have to really take care of each other and take the things that we say seriously and, and listen to each other because otherwise, why are we even here? Um, second of all, just as a general sort of statement, love is a great thing. And I think that if more people allowed themselves to, to feel it, it would cure a lot of the depressive SSRI zombie malaise that we, that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, <clears throat> the trickiest thing about love is that it really is a verb, as cliched as that might be. But we've talked on the show a lot about verbing nouns. And love mm -hmm. is a process that you deal with on a on a day-to-day -day basis. But it's also a choice. And I think that there, to, to me at least, we think of people falling in love as being a kind of feminine trait because it's something that happens to a person, someone who is not quite in control of their emotions, which is how, you know, I'm sorry to say, but is, which is how, you know, at least subconsciously, I think a lot of uh, us tend to think of women. Um, but I just, I think love is actually a choice, right? 
and I think that that's a very masculine trait. If you think of a, <laughs> if you think of a dad, I don't know, Chevy Chase from National Lampoon going on vacation with his family. <laughs> maybe, maybe if you had a, a, a slightly more, you know, alpha and masculine father in charge. But, you know, like you're going out with your tribe and he is the manager of the tribe, right? He has to make the decisions where we're going to eat, when we're going to stop for gas and to pee, all these kind of things. You know, it's it's the, the leader, the tribal leader has to has to make these choices. And love is one of those choices. What's frightening about it is that you can choose on any given day to not feel love about things. You you can actually you can actually do that, because uh, you can go to, the, you know you can go to the store and buy a twelve pack, and choose however you really want to feel, at all, right? So I think I think that this idea that uh, that men have about the vulnerability of admitting that you're in love with somebody has a lot to do with this perception of giving up control. But in fact, I think it's just the opposite. Then outside of that, and the most important thing is that uh, love is just fucking important, man. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to live without love. It doesn't seem like there'd be much worth living for at all. So those are those are kind of my scattershot thoughts. But, you know, I have this dude who's standing on my legs and who is trying desperately to uh, punch my arms, wriggle out, and I don't even know what he thinks he's going to do or where he's going to go, but I just love this guy, you know? This is just my, my little dude. Well, okay, you see, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Uh, because I, I absolutely support the the love as verb, and I think we are deeply involved in repositioning and, and seeing nouns in terms of verbs and process. Uh, but what I was thinking of is exactly what you just got to, where love is something bigger than than we are, something bigger than rationality and not a choice that we make in a sense. And that's what's refreshing and powerful and scary about it. Um, that where you get to a point where it's like, no, I, I just can't walk around that, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that we're so eager today to be able to choose everything, to build our own burgers and customize mm -hmm. that phone plan to meet our needs. You know, you only pay for what you need, that kind of thing. and. We need things in our lives that are simply uh, not even resistant to that, but transcendent of that notion. Uh, the other thing I think that's that's interesting that you mentioned about, like, and I think the Chevy Chase example is so wonderful because people know it, and it's it's such a wonderful pastiche cartoon caricature of of male responsibility as as bumbling as it is. But so often the emphasis is on purely on uh, behavior, and I'm not dismissing the importance of behavior at all. I think love is finally what you know what proves itself. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, what I was referring to in in the last episode and how we started is the psychic experience of love, whether or not it can be realized in behavior, because. That's not always in our power to do, you know? And I think that's one of the oscillating tensions with love is that 
we can have great intentions, we can have great desire. You know, love and desire, I think, are very closely linked. And that doesn't always win the day. And yet the psychic experience of love remains. And that can be very challenging. It can be tremendously frustrating. It can be sorrowful, you know. It can be uh, many different things. But when you have a psychic experience that you simply can't necessarily package neatly into either intimate or larger social behavior, uh, you nonetheless still have to live with that psychic experience. And it, it helps when people can hear that and listen to that. And I really appreciated that. And I, in thinking about how this gets reflected in popular culture, uh, I said I, I hadn't really come across uh, a love story that has spoken to me in any form uh, that I can think of of late. And yet I do think that uh, up until fairly recently, popular music really carried a lot of this burden. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you hear it in, in, in you know, it's got to be 75% of songs. It's about love or, and then the other 25% is about lost love. Maybe it's 50-50. I do, really quick though, I want to go back to your point about choice, which I think was a really important distinction. Um, because what I was saying and what I was thinking perhaps made love too much into, you know, like you said, build a burger. But maybe, do you think it's fair to say that love is an overwhelming thing that happens to you and you can't escape from it, but you can choose to engage or not engage with it? I think you can choose how to respond to it. I think that okay. the engagement is, 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 is that's, that's the done deal. Okay. It's then how you respond to it. And, and, and to what degree that turns into something positive, if, if that's not too uh, simplistic a term, or sad, you know? Mm -hmm. I, think that, I think that love tends to go, if we're talking about any kind of romantic love, uh, as opposed to love of children, love of, of mm -hmm. you know, whoever, animals, you know. There, there, there are so many different kinds of love. And I think that's one of the problems with this, with tying back to our theme of language. Too often, I think we use one word in so many different ways that it wears thin and loses meaning. And we, what we really need are multiple, you know, very, you know, rich different kinds of words and love would certainly be uh, an overall human vector that needs better vocabulary than we have what do you think of the of the you know the christian notion that god is love or that or the buddhist nature uh, idea that like our true nature is one of of pure love I will always substitute the word joy there, and mm -hmm. word substitution is one of my major teaching methodologies, and it will be appearing later in the episode. Uh, I, I think that's a good example of where um, joy would, would probably be, well, that would be my first thought. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. I think that in the Christian tradition, God is love, that there's a whole level of meaning behind that, of 
you know, God gave his only son to save us. You know, their, their love is a very powerful, rich word in biblical terms. Uh, and in really all the Judeo-Christian uh, traditions. Um, but I think that in, when it comes to the Buddha, I think that, that joy, uh, and, and to use our own term of delight, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, mm-hmm. it's a great ecstatic appreciation, mm-hmm. you know. And that to me is different. Um, but I, again, it, it, I think we need a richer vocabulary when it comes to this very, I mean, essential human direction. Mm-hmm. You know, there you are, guest. Oh yeah, yeah. He's just wiggling. Speak he's, to me. He's wiggling yeah. all around. Yeah. I don't even know what he wants to do. I'm looking at him and I'm thinking he just wants to wiggle. Like, Dude, what are you doing? Where are you going? Well, he wants to walk so badly, and he's got his little walker, which I could put him in, but then he would run into a wall, and I'd have to go turn him around, and then he'd run into another wall, and I'd have to go turn him around. This guy is tired. I can see it. That in sounds his like eyes. me. He's tired. Yeah. Well, it's it, you know honestly. That sounds like me. <laughs> we never really grow out of that. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I see him do, and I'm like, buddy. I saw him, uh, I was changing his diaper the other day, and he was uh, grabbing it at his penis and, like, pulling at it. And I thought, yeah, man, that's that's life, dude. You're, you're gonna, <laughs> that's going to be, that, that's yeah. gonna be you for the, for the rest of your days, buddy. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, so I can't really, can't really put it, but he's so, he's so tired, but he just wants to stay up and, and play with his dad. I think that the, our proximity... Our, our kind of daily, uh, you know, hangouts have gotten him really attached. And when I'm not in the room, he, uh, well, well, we'll continue on with the episode. If he gets really fussy, we'll take a quick break and I'll try to put him to bed. But we're good for now. But I wanted to go back to the subject. Of, I think it's expressive form. I, I think he's I think chiming so, yeah. in really well. He's a good ensemble yeah. player. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I did want to talk about love in the context of uh, loving your wife, right? I'm going to be a wife guy for a little bit because yeah. I, okay. I was having a conversation. Hang on, buddy. Let, let, Dad, let Daddy do his podcast. <laughs> What's the matter, dude? That's what loving your wife results That's... in, my friend. <laughs> so true. So true. Um, I was talking to my friend Kelby, who's a patron, so he'll be listening to this. Um, yeah, you know what, man? Let's just leave this rolling, but give me like five minutes. I'm going to go try to put him down because he's just, uh, he's a little, he's a little grumpy, but I'll, I'll, I'll be right back. We'll just leave it rolling. I'll be back. Okay. Actually, I'll still, I'll still be, I'll still be on the phone. Let's, uh, here, I'll just cut this part out. Yeah, you need to go to bed, dude. He's almost there, Rio. This is fantastic. This is love in, in real time. <laughs> it is. This is the working end. This is the business end of love. Exactly. Um, right. So I was talking to my friend uh, Kelby recently because Rios had a friend come visit who used to be her roommate when we were just out of high school. And her friend brought with her a box of Rios's things. And in this box of things, there was a scrapbook that had a bunch of pictures of us at prom, uh, our high school friends, 
as a side note, several people I hope people you post are, these. I, I can, indeed. Uh, several people who are now dead, which is a very strange experience to see a photo and be like, oh, yeah, mm. he or she, they're, they're dead now. But this isn't a dark story. This is actually a, a sweet story. One of the pages in the scrapbook is a laminated, uh, you know, written on, on spiral notebook paper, a uh, love note that I wrote her at 17 years old. So this was 17 years ago at this point, an entire lifetime ago. And I read it and I thought, fuck, I have always been a good writer. Look at this. This is fantastic. I would fall in love with me too. <laughs> but, but I uh, I read it. No, and it's pretty good. It's a pretty good love note. So I was telling that to my friend, Kelby. What's up, Kelby? Shouts out to Kelby. And he was telling me that uh, he has a little box that he bought for his wife that allows him to text love notes to her while she's still in bed. So she'll get a ding on the on the little box and then she can open it up and read whatever love note he's left for her and if you know kelby you know that he has many automatic weapons and face tattoos and he lives in a kind of rougher area of houston he works with his hands he's a carpenter he's a guy's guy hangs out with rappers you know drinking tequila and and being crazy but you know they have a a two-year-old son together and really deep down in his heart he's a big softy who loves his wife. And I thought that was just beautiful. I do too. I do too. I think that that's, uh, you know, that, that, that's a great, uh, a great subject for a song, a book, uh, a life, you know? Um, and it, it, it shows that I think that, you know, the emotion and the intention and the delivery of love is something that can take so many different forms and appears in so many different people that you might think, oh, you know, no way. I mean, you know, this, this guy is not like that. But so often we're always saying that about people, particularly men today, you know. Uh, and I think that a little bit of romance and sentimentality can be found. You know, just think of that word sentimentality. You know, the moment you hear that, you think that's so uh, denigrating. I, you know, it really, what's wrong with that? That used to be a very powerful, positive word, you know, in the 18th century. And now, I mean, it just sounds like the, the Hallmark Channel. And it's been completely co opted. Uh, not just by women, but by older women, you know? And I think it's, um, it's really just completely insane that we need some reaffirmation of the romantic possibilities and freedoms within men uh, if we're going to get any kind of balance well, going. What, is, what is the most romantic thing that you've ever done? That I've ever mm-hmm. done? Uh, okay, and we're not talking about cliched uh, romance, you know, really sort of store-bought. Uh, no, no, no. Let's yeah, leave the you know, the, the, the chocolates way. and all that bullshit. That's that's just that's just what you got to do to to not you know get broken up with. I'm talking real from the heart romance. 
That's a really good question, and questions should always be slightly confrontational. Uh, well, uh, I made sure that, or at least really assisted with uh, the woman I've spoken about coming to join me when I uh, was the Mellon Scholar in South Africa. And that was an amazing adventure for us both. And uh, I really made sure that we had some extremely uh, special times, including she arrived in Cape Town, as you do in South Africa, and I, I drove with friends there to, to meet her. Uh, she was a champion. You know, it's a long-haul flight from America, long-haul flight. And I didn't want her to go through what I'd gone through, of trying to get all the way to the south of South Africa. Um, so there was a, a really great hotel room at the Taj Hotel with a view right out the window of Table Mountain, which is one of the great sites in the world. And um, we had arranged to go to the top of Table Mountain before the tram system was going to be closed for four days for maintenance. And uh, she had on these great hiker shorts that were just magical. <laughs> and so we're, we're, we're trying to get out the, the door of this hotel room that's you know way beyond my means uh but she had on these great hiker shorts and i thought i think you should take those off from yeah, yeah. um and it was kind of a mingling of you know desire and just just genuine affection i mean i i just i i you know the, the sound of her voice her presence uh her participation in, in the adventure of it all. Um, we did a safari. She met some of my crazy uh, African students, which was really an intense environment because I'd been, in, I'd been living and, and working with them and drinking with them and getting into fights, you know, for, you know, I had a whole, I had a whole world there mm -hmm. built. Um, it's one of those places where it, I just, I felt instantly at home and instantly connected, and uh, she engaged with that fully, uh, and fully dressed and ready to go, you know, on a big adventure. She got those hiker shorts off and got redressed, yeah. you know? So it was, it was a kind of, it was a team effort, and I think that's one of the things that to me is working with uh, any kind of romantic love is that if it is working, you step outside yourself and you do really merge with someone else. And the, the two are bigger than two, mm -hmm. you know? That's lovely. That's great. Um, I do think that, it, yeah, it definitely takes two to tango in situations like this. I think that um, it takes two because you have to be able to actually generate those feelings. A romantic action isn't romantic if it's one-sided. It's actually just sad. So, so it has to kind of have both people um, participating in it. So the reason why I'm thinking right now is because I'm thinking about the challenge that you gave me 
with the with the riddles and we're at about mm-hmm. 30 minutes here um, and I have I have thoughts I can think about it longer but I think I'm having a you know what actually no I'm just gonna let it sit for a little bit longer because the the actual riddle on my end isn't isn't coming to me I think I have at least one of the riddles figured out so that's the one i'm gonna go with but i hadn't heard either of them before um oh okay well it's, it's a you know it, it's a tough challenge i mean I, I i freely admit it i have a thought to um to give you a little bit more time uh because you mentioned an interesting word and i think it is a beautiful beautiful art tradition there are many but it's the tango and so many of, of the beautiful romantic dances come from a Latin-based uh, frame, in my view. Um, there's a lot of you know, partner dancing, um, sexuality in, in terms of many of the dance styles, but also just a kind of ceremonial uh, expression of love, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. you know? And, and the tango... Uh, for me is I think I, I did try once uh, I did a tango lesson once actually and uh, I, I thought my god I, I re- this is just such a you know it's such a beautiful art it's like trying to learn Chinese calligraphy in 45 minutes mm-hmm. you just think yeah mm-hmm. well maybe mm-hmm. not but one of my deep regrets across the the major uh, relationships and certainly my marriages, we always uh, had this idea that we were going to do a Latin dance class together and we never got around mm-hmm. to it. And I think for me, pers- that's a little bit of a metaphor of, of, uh, of what went wrong. And I think that it, it is a mutual thing. That's the beauty of it, you know. But it, it is a kind of commitment. And to go back to your earlier word of, of choice, and I don't like the word commitment in, in general dating romance terms. I, I like it more in terms of uh, agreement to participate in a discipline. Mm, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And Ooh, that's yeah, something yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. bigger than right, choice. Right. And it's, it's not like, well, we're going to be exclusive and you can't screw anyone mm-hmm, else, you know? Mm-hmm. Those kind of words, you know, that kind of idea of commitment seem a little bit, uh, you know, kind of functionalist to me. But the commitment is an yes. agreement to a discipline. Right, right. Oh, I know? love this because I've been thinking about this very subject because I've been at home with my boy and I've been raising him and there is nothing individually taken one at a time that is difficult about raising uh an infant and i'm not saying this from the perspective of a father who kind of dips in and out which by the way no no absolutely uh no shame or or anything like that on people who do that because your family has to eat and i have nothing but respect for guys who who go out and support their families that's not what i'm saying at all but the structure of uh my wife and i's relationship means that i'm at home with the kid a lot and I can tell you there's nothing particularly hard about it it's just it's it's constant okay so it go it goes on mm-hmm. forever and I began to think about Alistair Crowley and Nietzsche and the will to power and imposing your will on the world and I thought you know 
what having this kid in the six months that he's been alive has taught me is that it's actually more about what I choose to let impose its will on me. And this goes back directly to what you're saying. Instead of being this uh, per- like a person who kind of has this mercurial uh, relationship to the world, right? Where, you know, oh, I could do, could do this or, you know, whichever way the wind is going, I might pursue this and I might pursue that. And I might throw my whole will at making this thing happen. Instead, it's like you said, it's choosing a discipline. And there's this great story by uh, a manga artist named Junji Ito, and it's called uh, The Enigma of Amigara Fault. And I thought that this was a really great metaphor for what I'm talking about. So the setup of the story is that there is a massive earthquake and tsunami in Japan. And after the earthquake is done, a fault is exposed that had never been exposed before. And in the the cliff face of the fault, there are hundreds and hundreds of people-sized holes, right? Now, when people get close to these holes, they feel compelled to go to a very specific hole. Each individual goes to a different hole, and it is the hole that is exactly the size and shape of their body, like perfectly their size and their shape. And once they recognize that hole, they can't help themselves. They walk into the hole, right? And they can't back out of it because it's ridged. You can go in, but you can't go out. You have to move forward. And it's a horror story. Junji Ito is a, he wrote uh, Uzumaki um, and uh, Gyo and all these, all these horror mangas. So at the end of the story, they go to the other side of the fault and see the people coming out of it, and they're twisted into these grotesque Lovecraftian shapes, uh, you know, where their eyeballs are on stalks, and, you know, this this fault line has, has changed them, this walk through the hole. But I thought, what if we took that story instead and actually didn't try to sanitize how ugly they were when they came out the end, and yet at the same time, made it very explicit that that is exactly what you want to do. You want to find the U, the mm. U-shaped hole and give yourself over to it. Come what may, you're going to come out scarred and fucked up looking, but you have to choose your hole. <laughs> Which is an ugly way of saying this. It's it's a it's a clunky way of saying it. I like choose your discipline much better, but I th- I just I've been it's so interesting that you brought that up because this is actually what's just been on my mind in my free time the past week or so. You know, I had to choose. Like I ch- I chose my family, right? And my life begins to look a certain way and the love continues to grow, but I I I can't fight it. I I can't say, "Well, I'm going to do this, but I'm also going to go party and drink and hang out with my friends and play video games or in whatever you know it's like no i have to give myself to the disciplines of you know rearing a family doing the work that i do for money and then you know talking to you and writing in my spare time and that's it those are my disciplines right right and and discipline is another word for direction you know it really is it i mean we 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 seek you know, direction and fulfillment without obligation. And, and that's a bad formula. That is the formula of our mm-hmm. time. Uh, y- you have to embrace 
the wholeness of it, the full verb, you know, the full oscillation. Mm-hmm. And and then shit starts to happen in a yeah, good way. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> absolutely. And in a bad way too, right? It's like so I'm I'm big on this whole idea of, of it not being this situation where all of a sudden all of your problems are gone or something like that. Like it's going to mess you up in certain ways. But there is beauty in that in that choice, which you can say the same thing about love, right? I mean, you don't. It could go badly, but I think it's the correct decision to give yourself over to it and come out the other end looking like a monster, <laughs> than than to sort of I don't know, just ignore it altogether. Yeah, and just be on the couch, yeah. you know, just be bland. That's what everybody's doing, know? man. Just, just That's what work everybody's and take that doing. paycheck and disappear to Awful. the void. You Couldn't know? imagine that life. I could not imagine waking up in the afterlife, as I said in the previous episode, and the spirit being saying, really, really? You watch that much Netflix? <laughs> Come on, man. What are you doing? But I have yeah. been ruminating on the on the riddle and okay well we will accept just a decoding of one of the mechanisms yes, yes. and hold over your response to that if you if you prefer i admit this was a difficult challenge this is this is no, it's, really uh it's 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 great and know. i think i know the the direction that i want to take it in so first of all i'll, I'll go over okay. the one that i'm not going to do which is the first one uh because i can't okay. quite decide uh which mechanism it means so you know the plane crash everybody dies who survives my first thought process is you know saying that so and so is survived by his you know wife and children mother um so a kind of play on language with that um i'm not yes that's is it really oh okay because my other thought process was yeah you know maybe there was something to say you know like every Okay, so I got that one right. Okay, good. Um, yes, every single person. In other words, the, the hinge point single, is on the word right, single. Yes, right, you got right. that. Okay, yeah. Cause, so I, I, didn't, I didn't know which way that one was really going. Um, but I like the one with the three rooms because you would obviously go into the room with the lions that are clearly dead, right? <laughs> because, because they, ha- they haven't eaten right. in, okay. what did you say, months? They haven't eaten in months? Like, that's, that's a dead lion. Years, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, years. Okay. yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's that's a dead lion, um, and I like the mechanism of that one because it's playing on the hyperbolic way that we that we talk. You say, "Oh, I'm starving," or "Oh, I haven't. I feel like I haven't eaten in in years." And online speak is very hyperbolic, and you know people will post things and say, "This is everything," or "I can't stop thinking about this." And so my version of that riddle would play on some sort of internet meme or lingo that has become so embedded in the way that we actually speak that it kind of glides by on first listen. So that's that's the that was the identifiable mechanism that I got in that second riddle. I think that is beautifully said, and I think you can... Uh you know, feel good about that response. That's exactly how I use it. In, in high, the, the hyperbolic nature of language today and how to deal with that, how to combat it, you know, in the psychic combat sense, it, it comes at us so often. 
and we either just absorb it into us without even thinking at all or it shoots past us and neither of those are good results so I, I, I'm very pleased with that response. Cool. Yeah, and I will, though, uh, before next episode, I will try to think of a fun uh, modern update on that riddle. Um, my mind immediately went to <laughs> COVID-19, something to, do, something to do with COVID-19, <laughs> but I couldn't quite put the pieces together. Um, but I, okay, I'm happy that you're happy, and I'm happy that I was uh, on the right track with these riddles that... Uh, I, I think particularly given the level of articulate response, I, I think that is a very good uh, you know, engagement with the idea in real time. That, that really, I think that's, it, it's perfectly fair to take that as a two-part assignment. So we'll start with that for, for next time because you've broken that down really well. And I hope people heard how clear that was because uh, that's the first step. Cool. You know? Excellent. Well... We've come to my favorite part of the episodes. Now, episode, singular. Do you have a practical tip and, uh, and a dream for us today? I do. I do. The practical tip hinges on a very straightforward principle that I use and I recommend very strongly. We are all embedded, enmeshed, or immersed in language. This is one of our key themes. Many people have said this, but David and I are trying to interrogate and prosecute that idea to gain a kind of aerial view, to gain another angle of triangulation, at least. And word substitution is a very, very handy technique. When language overwhelms us, when we hit these strange words, particularly if we're bombarded in the media or social media terms, or, or even you know, very much in face-to-face terms, when people give us certain propositions, you know, how do we listen to them? And some of the great writers, David Mamet does this very well, there are many, many people who, who follow this discipline, and I recommend it to you. Word substitution. Let's look at, and I particularly like to look at compound words. Take the word preoccupy. You're preoccupied. David, if you're preoccupied, what does that mean? Distracted. Yes. Okay. Notice that we hit instantly on a really key principle, which we're often told not to use the thesaurus for synonyms and antonyms and but I think it's a very powerful way of learning about language synonyms antonyms Mm -hmm. you know homonyms Mm -hmm. on and on and on okay let's break that down what if we said let's look at synonyms for occupy I would humbly suggest you would quickly come to inhabit Mm -hmm. Pre-inhabited, pre-inhabited. Think how that changes the field of meaning around that idea. To be pre-inhabited is a very interesting idea, whereas being distracted is something that happens, you know, pretty much minute by minute. And I think if we use the word substitution technique, we're doing two things. We're slowing down language around us. We forget we can do that. We can change the speed at which language comes at us. We can process language in a more sincere, nuanced, detailed, enriched way. And if we do take the time when some key words hit us, and I think we all know some people in our lives who use certain words in certain ways, family members, certain friends, 
business associates or whoever and a lot of stuff in in social media and the media how do you break down rhetoric how do you break down the onslaught well you've got to break it down and to use the word substitution technique is a very powerful simple tool to gain a little bit of perspective maybe not the full aerial view that's very hard to achieve that's a zen master sort of thing but this is a simple way of gaining a little bit of perspective to be distracted or to be pre-inhabited what an odd interesting difference you could build a whole story around that conflict i love the idea of being how does that pre-inhabited sound? that's what i'm going to do from now on and i'm going to take this practical tip and my emails are going to become so much more interesting because I love the idea of communicating with people with words that they don't hear all the time that really make them think about what I mean. If I said, sorry, I wasn't able to complete this project on time, I was pre-inhabited, that would <laughs> that would get them thinking about what the hell is this guy talking about, dude? Like, he's pre-inhabited. I think it's a... This is a kind of a, a point that you come back to a lot, whether it's in your practical tips or in our conversation in general, which is the the etymology of you know of, of these words and finding out what they what they really mean. Not just not just the etymology in terms of where the word comes from, you know what it means in its original Greek. Although I I find a lot of value in that too, but just as you said with synonyms or antonyms. Um, I think that some really good hip-hop artists are good at this because they can often find a word, Mm -hmm. and if it's done very skillfully, the right word at the right time can mean three different things at once. Um, But I think that that is a a much more vibrant way of engaging with other people and the world in general. You know, I, I really believe that, and I think that it gets, you know ourselves thinking but you know don't have any fear about getting other people thinking Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) some will some will just look at you askance you know but they might do that anyway Uh, we all have a mission to help lift each other up and to wake each other up a bit more and to to encourage alertness and curiosity you know don't be afraid absolutely tell me about uh, your dream Okay, this, this works on a couple of interesting levels, I think. Uh, in one sense, it's, it's simply about the vividness of, of dreams and, and the, the possibility that we are experiencing uh, another level of reality uh, and, and perhaps other realities. But I was in a, in a section of a, a city that was kind of a mix of, of a part of London, a part of Melbourne, it, it also kind of reminded me of when I was wandering around Salem in Massachusetts when I was writer-in-residence there. But definitely a kind of city environment, that uh, a residential sort of city environment that I'm not really familiar with. Uh, I, I've been in a few, but I certainly I would never live in those places. It, there, it was kind of odd. And it was raining, and it was cold. And I, I did have an umbrella with me. But I kind of delighted in the fact that I was dealing with the rain and the cold. I didn't have my collar pulled up. I wasn't grimacing. I was kind of in the groove. 
and I was crossing this street and it was it was quite flooded with the rain and you kind of had to leap the puddle or splash through the puddle or both and I had this incredibly rich sense of the water seeping through my shoes and I must have been near to waking as as the uh, as many people say because it did occur to me that I thought god this feels so real this feels so vividly mm-hmm. real and then I'm, I might have slipped back because as I crossed the street uh, I engaged with and I was also accosted by uh, a black woman who was passing out some sort of uh, it wasn't lottery tickets. I, I assumed first that she was uh, evangelizing mm-hmm. for some Christian, uh, you know, church or, or, or uh, project, and I, I kind of, you know, brushed past her as as politely as I could. And she she followed me, and I thought then, oh, she's actually maybe uh, a street person and and needing, you know, she's panhandling. And so I ducked down this uh, one street. I didn't know where I was going. And there were some big two-story houses, not great, uh, but certainly a, a, a relatively prosperous neighborhood. And I, I didn't think that, that you know things would go well with her. Uh, but she kept following me, and uh, I, she seemed to know more where she was going. And I thought, well, maybe I just don't know what's going on with this person at all. And that's not a bad position to, uh, to have with anyone, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, but as we progressed forward, I had this sudden, very immense intuitive recognition that I was not moving away from her she was in fact leading me even though she was behind me and what she led me to was a kind of altar that she had created and the altar included a softball an old backyard softball nestled into the chest of this plastic pit bull and as I began to engage with this sculptural creation, which harkens back to uh, our first discussions of outsider art, she said to me, now you're ready to see my greatest treasure. And I thought, oh my. And it turned out to be a battery-powered vagina sex toy excellent which i was at first ready to dismiss with uh, a level of disgust and disdain that even you know in that situation i i didn't feel proud of but the way that she held it up was like a lotus blossom Mm -hmm. This was something much, much bigger than what it seemed to me. It was the whole world in her hand. It was, it was all power and magic to her, and it didn't matter what it was. And as I looked at it, I thought, this really is a treasure. This really is a treasure, because here in the rain, with this anonymous stranger in the city that I didn't understand, she shared something magical 
And I thought that was a really powerful way to wake up in a time of, of great stress for me. And it just, it gave me a good start to the day.